Well, I'll be celebrating the World <laughs> Series victory in 2022 with uh, heavy drinking, and then I'm going to jump on my unicorn. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the Marie to my Donnie, my brother, Mike. Does that make me a little bit country or a little bit rock and roll? I can't remember which one was It makes me a whole lot of Mormon. I know that, Uh, which is cool, which made me probably a better person. Which one would you rather be in the, I mean, you're the Marie, but as, but which one would you rather be? I guess I'd probably be a little, rather be a little bit more country. Okay. All right. That's fine. I'll be the rock and roll. Um, This week on Royals Weekly, we'll review last week's up and down run from the Royals, look at what was an underwhelming trade deadline, and preview this week's series against the White Sox and Cardinals. As always, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us. The more subscribers, raters, and reviewers we have, the more people we can find. We can spread our propaganda even further. Royals, Royals, Royals. Royals, Royals. You just got (laughs) to repeat it over and over again. You Uh, want to bow down to the Dayton Mowers of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, and then eventually they will rule all of of the United States. And so subscribe, rate, and review. Our fate is in your hands on on that front. Um, But for now, let's get to some baseball. We'll get started with the roster news, and we're gonna. That was really the big news of the week this week. This week, last week was the trade deadline, and all the biggest news and all the interesting things were roster news for the Royals. I wish there was more to say about it. I wish there were more trades that were made, but it was a very intense couple of days focusing on. A lot of people were out there just hitting that refresh button on Twitter, like, "Tell tell me something's happened. Tell me a trade has been made. Do something, Royals." <laughs> um, but they didn't do as much as most teams. Uh, they did, however, trade team icon, fan favorite, um, in some ways most effective starting pitcher they've had this season, Danny Duffy. Oh, Danny, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes oh, are calling. calling. Okay, From that might be the land to land and sea to glen or something. Like, I don't know the words. About glens and lands and seas. And seas, you know. Uh, but uh, Danny Duffy was traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This was the end of his contract, so he was sent back home to the L.A. area. He had the right to refuse the trade, but he actually chose to waive his trade, uh, his no-trade clause. Well, the, he has ten five rights, so he decided to waive those so he could go back to the L.A. area for the last couple of months of their season. Uh, the Royals got a player to be named later in trade. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on the trade first, and then we'll talk about your thoughts on Duffy's tenure as a Royal. Well, uh, like most Royals fans, I love Danny Duffy. Uh, you and I were both at his debut and that may not seem like much, but you know, we were poor college students, maybe yeah, poor college students when that happened, uh, and didn't live in the Kansas city area when it happened. So we made a special trip down just to see Danny Duffy's debut, um, had a lot of big hopes for him, an emotional guy who's connected with the city more than just about anybody else who's still here. You know, Salvi's got a big connection with the city cause he's been here a long time, but Danny did some things that didn't have to be done. And when the trade came out, there were a flood of Danny Duffy stories, personal Danny Duffy stories, things you really never hear about. A lot of times Um, he didn't ask for the publicity for those things. You know, he made a significant connection to, you know, no, the Noah's charity situation thing that was going on at that time before that young man passed away. Um, Just an exceptional human being Um, and always hope for the best for him. He was with the Royals during that big run. I don't know if he probably contributed to that run as much as he would have liked because of injuries and whatnot, but uh, 
but yeah, he's been a steady guy for the Royals for a long time and I'm going to miss him. Yeah, me too. I will say that baseball strategy wise, it was the right decision. It was the right decision to trade Danny Duffy because the Royals are not going to compete this year. This is the end of his contract. There's no guarantee he re-ups with the Royals in the offseason, so you might as well trade him for a couple months. He'll still have a chance to sign back with the Royals in the offseason if he wants to, but get something for him. Get something that will help your team moving into this next window. you got to make a trade, and he was going to be one of their most valuable pieces because he's been so effective this year, because he can start or relieve or be a multi-inning reliever, uh, and he's still got innings left on his arm because he's been on the injured list a couple times. So... I feel like he was probably one of their most valuable trade pieces, at least of those guys who were just going to be rentals. And so you really got to get what you can for him. And apparently uh, Dayton more liked the offer. Well, and you just know that this was a conversation that went something to the effect of, Hey, Danny, where would you want to go? You know, like what we're not going to trade. Obviously he has, he doesn't have to be traded if he doesn't want to. And so they were like, Danny, do you want to go compete in the playoffs? Cause you're going, you know, we can put you in a situation to possibly win another championship. We can put you back in your home area. And he was like, yeah, that sounds good rather than staying here and possibly fi- getting to play. I mean, they may have shut him down. Who even knows? Like, uh, it, 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 I think it was something that Danny Duffy wanted too. I don't think it was like a, yeah. Hey Duffy, we're trading you. You know, no, I think he wanted this. Um, and good for him. He should want this. Go play meaningful baseball again. Win yourself another one. Yeah, I hope he does. And there were a ton, there was a ton of reporting out that he would only accept a trade to a California team so that he could be back in his home hometown area. I think Los Angeles is a couple of two and a, two two and a half hours away from where he grew up. Lompoc um, is where he grew Lompoc, up. Lompoc, California. Uh, and so good to see. Good that he gets to be back in his hometown. Good that he gets to try and chase another World Series championship and maybe even be a really meaningful part of it. If he's a multi inning reliever, he could throw really important innings in the playoffs. And, and beyond with the, uh, with the Dodgers. So, and that's my hope. I'm hoping that Danny Duffy becomes like a cult playoff hero oh, in Los Angeles. Awesome. I want to watch that. Awesome. I want to watch that. And I'll probably be watching those games because of my hope that Danny Duffy gets in there, you know, oh, same here. Absolutely. Uh, what are your thoughts on Duffy's tenure as a Royal? How, how do you see his legacy with this team? Well, one thing you can see is, as far as development of high school players, first, he's one of the first picks of Dayton Moore's tenure here. I think he's legitimately the third pick because he was a third round pick um, or he was a second round pick that was their third guy. I can't remember, but he is probably he's one of the very few high school arms that we have been able to develop under the Dayton Moore regime. I, you know, when he first came up, he really struggled to go deep into games. You knew the stuff was there. He became a different pitcher when James Shields got here and worked with him on that changeup. And so I think he's probably a more effective pitcher now than he ever has been, which is odd to see because he's a little bit older. I I wish that would have happened sooner, but he always provided fun games to watch because you never knew he could go strike out double digit guys and he struck out 16 in one game one time. I remember that game. He was always fun to watch. You may get something that's not great but you may get a once in a lifetime performance anytime. Yeah. And I, I agree with you 100%. I think all statistically that is backed up, right? I think this is the best year he's had statistically. Uh, if we don't include like number of innings pitched, you know, because he, he hasn't pitched a ton this year, but he has been so effective when he has pitched, you know, this is probably his best 
major league season in terms of it definitely is in terms of like ERA out of the out of the starting rotation anyway and, and things like that. He's just got a lot of really good numbers and he's looked really good this year, which is why he was such in such high demand. I think probably on the trade at the trade deadline. I look back at his tenure and I think the same thing as you. I think he'll always be a fan favorite. I do want to point out he's certainly not a perfect person, a flawed person who has struggled with mental health, who has struggled at times with drinking and things like that. But someone you always root for to, you know, be better and, and somebody who's always looking to be better and doing whatever he can for others. And I think that's a big part of sort of his legacy here in Kansas City. I really hope that they find a way to get him back here at some point. It'd be dope if they could do it this offseason. If not, maybe later in his career, we've seen the Royals bring back a lot of guys once they sort of got past their prime years, but maybe were still useful. Uh, I'd just love to see him stay connected with the Royals in some way. And and two, I'm going to say two things here. One, I think he's probably a Royals Hall of Famer at some point down the road. Uh, maybe borderline on that because he was. I think the thing that boosts him up is that he was on the team when they won the World Series. You know, oh, yeah. and so I think any guy on that team is going to get a little bit of a boost. Um, but he was also with us for, I think, 11 years. That's a pretty long stretch for one team anymore. The other thing I will say, he could be one of those candidates to have uh, an kind of end of the career rise up if he gets moved exclusively to the bullpen. Um, so be looking for that. Like in a year or two, some team might say, hey, we're who signs him might say, we're going to move you just to the bullpen. And you might see Danny Duffy ascend to maybe another level for a three-year stretch or a two-year stretch as he uh, maybe takes over a dominant bullpen setting because there is an opportunity that maybe he doesn't get hurt quite as much because he has had some injury problems uh, being in the starting rotation. So my hope is that that happens. I hope the Royals sign him back too. Why not? You know, Love I think me some the D-Bow. Dodgers have already said that they're going to use him as a multi-inning reliever out of the bullpen. I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if it's a high leverage multi-inning reliever. Like um, we want you for sometimes just to throw a come in and seven throw. and eight. Uh, seven and eight or an important seventh or something like that. Or sometimes they want to be like, I want you to, we're, we're struggling a little bit in the bullpen. We've been used a lot. We're gassed. We need you to go out and throw three innings today. Um, I think that both of those could be a possibility or he might just sort of fill both roles. Um, And so he's going to be really valuable for them. I think as long as he stays healthy, there was another important trade this week. The Royals made a total of two. Mike's like, maybe it's important. Yeah, I don't know uh, how important it was, but okay. We'll talk about why it might be important, right? Um, it's not necessarily the trade itself. It's freeing up the roster spot, but Jorge Soler was traded to the Atlanta Braves for Casey Kellich, a 23-year-old right-handed relief pitcher who I think is up in high A right now. Uh, Kellich has had some success at the high level, really just to get anything for Soler, I think is a big win. I mean, w- it, he had one of the worst first halves I've ever seen a player have. And the fact that they were able to get somebody based on essentially two weeks of performance from him, well, I think was big. And he has gone on to, he's hit well with the Braves in the few games he's played with them so far, but doesn't really matter. Whatever you can get for him, he wasn't going to be useful from the Royals. He could have played MVP caliber for the rest of the season for the Royals. And it was not going to make any difference to whether or not they make the playoffs. So might as well get what you can for him because he's gone after this year. Uh, Mike, what do you think about that trade? Uh, tell uh, us what your thoughts are. One, one I expect uh, I expect Jorge Soler to be an MVP-esque caliber player from here on out because that's just how it works. <laughs> okay, That's what you're going to get for him. If you can get that, that's good. Like That's fine. I, I'm completely okay with that. Maybe down the road in 2023 or 2024, this guy is a usable bullpen arm for you. But who knows? Maybe he isn't. That's what you're going to get for Jorge Soler. Uh, I wouldn't expect anything from Kalich. If you get something from him, great. He does throw pretty hard-ish. 
And uh, so hopefully he can be something down the road. But we needed Jorge Soler to be 2019 Jorge Soler, and he wasn't. Plain and simple. He wasn't. It's weird. We and saw trust him. me, nobody hates that more than Jorge Soler because he has cost himself a tremendous amount of money this year. A, a brink's truck full of money he has <laughs> cost himself this year because he's going into his free agent year. He is going to. It's going to be a prove it deal from him for him. It's going to be a one year, two year, real low uh, per year uh, dollar figure. It's just not going to be good for him in the offseason. Cost himself a lot of money this year. We needed him to be 2019 Solaire. We needed Dozier to be 2019 Dozier. And we needed the starting pitching to look respectable. None of those three things happened. And as a result, the Royals are 14 games under 500. But the, the, uh, to me, the most important thing about the Solaire trade is. It creates a, a roster spot for for Olivares, for Edward Olivares. He has been waiting patiently. He has been sort of brought up and sent back down numerous times this year and not ever really given a real chance to prove that he can hit at the major league level. Now's his chance, right? He has about 60 games left to prove that he can hit at the major league level. He went two for four today with a home run uh, in a losing effort for the Royals, but now is when he needs to come out and sort of say, I have to be in this lineup next year when you're trying to figure out how you can compete in 2022. Edward Olivares needs to be penciled in in left field or right field uh, when that happens. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't... So it, he has to play every day from now on. Every day. And it wouldn't kill me if he is your starting left fielder. If he proves it and is your starting left fielder on opening day next year, I'm okay with that. I do worry about the lack of patience for him, but... If he can play, he can play a decent left field. He can hit. He can be the guy. What about Benintendi then? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with Benintendi if he's in left? Oh God, I forgot about Benintendi. Um, because I, I, I wanted them to trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted them to be gone by now. Uh, well, and and he, you never know. Benintendi could be an off-season trade guy because he does have a full year left. And if somebody's looking for a an offensive hole to plug, Benintendi's a good guy to do that in left. Though his defense is just god awful but yeah so if it's not been intended i guess in left Oliveris, i guess you can have him in right but you want to sounds like they kind of want to put dozier in right some so i don't really know but he's got to play these last 60 games and if he hits i want him on that opening day roster next year yeah i think that just makes total sense on the field the royals went three and four this week that brings their record to 45 and 59 overall they took three or four from the right socks they're not the right socks they're the white socks mm-hmm. everyone just real quick, White Sox, <laughs> as for clarity. And then they got swept by the Blue Jays in a four or three-game series in Toronto, opening series in Toronto this year. They finally opened back up for COVID, and the Blue Jays come out and sweep the Royals, although those were three fairly competitive games. The Royals didn't get completely shellacked in any of them. Once again, we see that starting pitching was super key to the wins that they had this week and super key to the fact that they were looking competitive. It was the starting pitching and a hot run from Jorge Soler and, and Hunter Dozier there for a little bit. Um, Salvador and then, Perez. Salvador Perez. That really kept them in, in the games and, and allowed them to win that White Sox series. Uh, take three of four there. The baseball looks a lot more competitive lately. Yeah, and that's good to see. We knew the Blue Jays series was going to be a tough one. Uh, they have a very, very good offense. They're going to score some runs. They were going back to Canada for the first time. That Canadian energy and magic. All right. Those Canadians, man, they bring yeah. it. They bring it. Uh, They're all hopped so, up on Tim Hortons and Molson. There we go. Uh, I've never had a Molson's. I need to at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, they. It, we knew that was going to be tough. I thought the White Sox series was very encouraging. I thought that they should have taken all four of those games. They, they coughed up a lead in the eighth inning after a good start from Keller. 
so yeah, it, it was it was a actually very good week of Royals baseball, though the record didn't quite reflect it. Yeah, and along with that good week came some strong performances. I want to talk a little bit about Daniel Lynch, because if you look at the line that he had, he went up and faced Toronto in their very first game back in Canada. The emotions were running high. He was facing a really, really good lineup, chocked completely full of right-handed hitters. They hit nine right-handed batters against Daniel Lynch in that start. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a really good test for him. Like, tough, tough, tough circumstances to pitch in. He goes out, and of course, the umpire is squeezing him the whole time. I mean, it was bad. The umpiring was bad for Daniel Lynch. Yeah, there was a couple that were egregious. He still guts out six innings, three earned, only walks two. He has only two strikeouts, but that seems to be the way he's doing it right now is he's just getting a lot of weak contact, a lot of balls in play that are turned into outs, which is fine. As long as you're missing barrels, it's fine. And so I was really impressed with that performance because this was his second time out. It could have been a chance for him to show us that he was going to fold under pressure, that he was going to sort of revert back to mechanics that were causing him to not throw strikes in the past. And so it was great to see him gut out six strong innings, move on to the next start. That's two decent starts in a row, two quality starts in a row for him. And I like to see that as a start to this, hopefully what I consider – the rest of his career in the major leagues. Yeah. And there's, I'm going to say two things about this Daniel Lynch chart. Another really great thing is that he was stronger in inning five and six than he was in two and three, which is good to see. He, he got off the rails a little bit, but then was able to bring it back, which is nice to see. And his changeup was extremely effective. Um, he was having tr- a little bit of trouble throwing strikes with his breaking, pe- breaking ball, but like the, the knuckle curve, but the, the changeup is the reason he was getting that weak contact. He gave up a lot of weak fly balls to shallow right field to right-handed hitters, um, which was good to see because they were they were not ready for that good changeup. Always good to see that. Always good to see the mental toughness from him. Uh, I'm going to talk about Salvador Perez. You know, our uh, I don't know what you would call him. He's our he's our presidente. El presidente. There we go. Salvador Perez, seven for twenty-eight. He had three home runs. He had a double. Nine strikeouts to zero walks. Salvador Perez doesn't walk. Who cares? That's classic um, Salvador Perez. Classic Salvador Perez. But gosh, this guy is just so on it. Uh, he had a big home run late in one of the games early in the week. Two big home runs. He, he hits one gigantic bomb late in one of those games into the fountain. I think he comes back the next day and does it again. Uh, the guy is just uh, on another level right now. And it's crazy to think, you know, you and I said at the beginning of this year, that if Salvador Perez played this year like he did in that shortened season last year, we should talk about him for MVP. He's not going to win the MVP because Shohei Otani is in there, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is in there, but Salvador Perez should be getting some talk for what he does. He plays the hardest defensive position to play, and he hits like some of those catchers from the past did. Some of the Pudge Rodriguez's and the Johnny Benches and the and and those guys, the Mike Piazza, yeah. though he was a terrible catcher. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. It's interesting that you bring up those names, right? Because I looked this up the other day. Salvador Perez, when he was in the middle of this week, at least, was on pace to hit 40 home runs this year. Now, of course, he's played in every single game. Some of those games were some of those home runs are when he was playing DH. But no, there have only been six or no seven seasons before where a catcher, whether he was splitting time other places or not, somebody who has primarily played catcher that season, only seven seasons in the past have they hit 40 home runs or more, okay? Two of them were by Johnny Bench. 
two of them were by Mike Piazza. And so these are the, this is the company he's keeping, you know, these, these catchers from the past who were hall of fame caliber. I mean, Piazza's in the hall of fame bench is in the hall of fame. Like these are Pedro guys. Who, is in the hall of, is he in the hall of fame? I don't know. <laughs> he's never had a 40 home run season though. Um, and that's, what's interesting. There are a lot of great catchers guys in the hall of fame who are, or who are going to be in the hall of fame who've never hit 40 home runs as a catcher. Salvador Perez has a good chance to do it this year. We'll see if he can. I don't think he'll keep playing as many games as he has, but who knows? Maybe he will. I hope not. Honestly, I hope that they start resting him more. The season is over in terms of competitiveness. So give him a day off, elongate his career a little bit, but classic Salvi week comes out, hits a bunch of bombs, strikes out and doesn't take any walks. <laughs> there were also some weak performances from this week. <laughs> Another guy who did a guy who did not have a classic week. And that's Carlos Santana. He continues to struggle mightily. He was two for 25 this week, only had three walks, which in a week, that's not a lot for him. You know, if Salvador Perez took three walks in a week, we would say, oh my, we'd say like, oh, uh, is there fire and brimstone raining from the sky? Like what's going on here? Uh, but no, uh, for Santana, three walks in a week is not much. He struck out five times. And here's the number that really gets me. Zero extra base hits for Carlos Santana this week. Zero. Yeah. A first baseman having zero extra base hits in a week is not great. They need him. And, and this is why you saw them like lose to the Blue Jays today, five to one. They had no runs going into the ninth inning. They've just had, they've struggled a little bit to score runs in that Blue Jays series. And that's really what costs them. Santana needs to be an important part of their offense. He's their first baseman and he's, you know, without him, it's looking real light in that lineup. So struggled this week, hopefully picks it up next week. Uh, we'll see on that one. Yeah. And I saw him ground out weekly to first baseman way too many times way in that, into, uh, the hole, into the hole at second where they're shifting him. Well, I mean, all the time. yeah, he didn't even get it into the hole. He would like literally dribble one to the first baseman who would just step on first. Uh, it's not good to see, and especially we'll, we'll get into it, especially when they could have traded him. But anyway, <laughs> um, Jake Brents also struggled this week. Uh, one, one and one third innings pitch, three earned runs and three walks is a killer for him. I know a lot of people have been talking about how he's been throwing that change up more. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. The problem is he's been struggling to throw strikes. And that was kind of the knock on him before this season ever started was, yeah, he's got great stuff, but he's going to walk a bunch of guys. Uh, he's been able to be a great sign. I mean, we got six years of control of Jake Brents, and he's been a great pitcher all year, but he's got to be able to throw strikes. I don't know if necess- he needs that change up necessarily. People are always like, oh, well, more pitches is better. And that can be the case a lot of the times. But he's a relief pitcher. Sometimes when you're trying to throw a field pitch like a changeup, it can screw up your feel for your breaking ball or your fastball. So if it's causing him to have worse command, he needs to get rid of the changeup because he's good enough. He's got good enough stuff to do it with a fastball and a slider. Yeah, and today it was that slider he was struggling to control. And he kept throwing it to right-handed hitters. And it would like he's trying to run it just in off the plate, get swings and misses over the top of it. But he was running it like way in off the plate, uh, almost hitting guys on the back foot. And so, yeah, I think Brents will be fine ultimately, but it was a struggle for him to control the ball this week. Uh, Hopefully he finds that again and and can get back to what he was for us earlier. I'll tell you who I do not want to revert back to what they were doing earlier. That's the starting pitching. Because I think the thing that we learned from this week, the thing that we're learning from this decent stretch of baseball we're seeing from the Royals is that starting pitching makes the games more watchable. If the Royals can stay in it, can stay competitive, it's all going to be based on their starting pitching. 
Brad Keller seems to have turned it around. Daniel Lynch looks like he's got a foothold. Mike Miner's done well enough in the last week or two to keep team uh, the Royals in the game. Hernandez has occasionally been there, though sometimes not. We'll see what happens when Singer comes back. He started a rehab assignment. But when that starting pitching is okay, not even great, doesn't have to be great, when it's okay, when it's good enough to keep them in games, the game gets a lot more watchable. And so I actually enjoyed watching a lot of baseball this week because the Royals were in on every game. Yeah, and it was it was tough to see Keller go out today after three with uh, tightness in his lower back. Hopefully that's a, a minor thing because he has been doing so well lately. Uh, Carlos Hernandez, my boy, had a good start this week. Uh, hopefully he can keep that going. Um, but my kind of theme is you got to let go. That's kind of the theme for the week. We had to let go of Danny Duffy, and hopefully he goes and does wonderful things with the Dodgers. But my, that's my message to Dayton Moore. You got to let go of guys like a Whit Merrifield sometimes. You got to let go of a Carlos Santana when it's time to let go. If you you got to let go of these guys. Let it go. You, and this is something that people talk about in, when it comes to, to uh, cutting players in the NFL or trading players in, in uh, Major League Baseball or trading guys in, in the NBA. You would rather be out on them too early than too late, right? You don't want to be stuck in a Jorge Soler situation where you have a guy and he's playing and doing terrible and now nobody will take him, okay? Yeah. Um, or you're going to get so little in return for him. What was the point in, in doing it? it just, I just don't get it. Let it go. Let, Let it, go. it go. There we go. Yes, and, and that's the thing. We are now at the point where it is very clear that we have missed the peak trading opportunity for Whit Merrifield. He's in the middle of a second down season. He had a down season last year. He's in the middle of a second down season. No matter what, the next time, if they ever get around to trading him, which I don't think they will, I think Dayton Moore thinks that Whit Merrifield is actually his son and he just wants to like hug him until he dies or something like that. <laughs> um, but if they do end up trading Whit Merrifield, it's clear that we will have missed the peak time to trade Whit Merrifield. We will have lost a whole bunch of value because Merrifield hasn't performed as well last year or this year, and he will have less control by the time we trade him. So if you're not willing to let guys go, if you're not willing, it's funny because Dayton Moore talked earlier about being more transactional, about how they needed to be more transactional, like the Rays are, right? And it's like, but then he goes out and he's not transactional. You know, <laughs> I think it's, and he talks about it like, oh, because we just love our guys so much. And it's like, I get that. You're, you sell the whole family value shtick. We're a family stuff. I think that's ridiculous for a corporation like a baseball team to sell. But if you're all about it, you're all about it. But then don't talk about being transactional because you're never going to be. And this is why your rebuilds are going to take six to eight years. But we'll get into that when we talk about the trade deadline. And you want to see what happens? The Cubs got rid of everybody, everybody, including Anthony Rizzo, a guy who is like a Danny Duffy to a city like Chicago. He's been he's Mr. Cub right now. They were like, OK, we there's no point in just hanging on to dudes. Because we love them. Let's get some value here. Driving me nuts, Dayton Moore. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out on the and read a snippet of review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during most games. So you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. All right. We've already talked about it a little, but we're going to talk about it again. The trade deadline has now passed and the Royals were much quieter than you would think a team that's 14 games under 500 would be. 
Many fans were clamoring for the Royals to trade players like Carlos Santana and Whitman Merrifield, maybe even Andrew Benintendi, players with multiple years of control in order to land significant return in prospects. But Dayton Moore decided that he didn't want to trade anyone whose contract wasn't up after the end of this season. In the media comments, he frequently indicated that this is because he thinks that the Royals will compete in 2022. Mike, what do you think of how Moore approached the trade deadline, and how do you want to celebrate a World Series in 2022? <laughs> well, well, I'll be celebrating the World <laughs> Series victory in 2022 with uh, heavy drinking, and then I'm going to jump on my unicorn, and we're going exactly to the magic space land. Uh, yeah. The planet, I think, is called Zorpon Party Town. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, uh, that's that's how the chances we have of winning the World Series in 2022. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's so short-sighted. There, there really isn't any evidence from the team this year to show that we're going to be competitive in 2022, especially when you talk. Now, people are like, well, in 2013, there was, all, you know, it was kind of the same thing with a team that was like an average age of 23, who all the players were ascending. Not all everybody on this team is 23, 24, 25. A lot of these players are descending in their careers. They're on the backside of their careers. They're not going to get Whit better Merrifield, with a year Carlos of age. Santana, yeah, Mike Merrifield, Carlos Santana, Mike Miner, even maybe a Salvador Perez is up, up there as well. Like You're talking about guys that you're counting on to get better when there's no real evidence or track record that guys that are 33, 34 get better. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to, to do that. I know he has faith that the team is going to win next year. I do not. I don't have that faith. Now, do I think that they have a chance to be better next year, even by keeping those guys? Yes, I do. I think they're going to be a better, more competitive team next year just by staying pat. But then what happens after next year? Mass exodus. Then you're, and you, you won't have gotten anybody to take the places for 2023, 2024, 2025, which is when they should really be competing. Does that make sense? Why are we holding on to Carlos Santana? When we have Nick Prado coming up, why are we not going out and getting outfield pieces for guys like Mike Miner or even Scott Barlow, who's controllable and will be a part of that? But if did you see the return teams were getting for good relievers? I mean, it was crazy. If you can get an outfielder who's going to play every single day for a Scott Barlow, but he won't be playing till 2023, 2024, that's a good trade. Like, yeah, I, I don't get it. And the plus the throw in the volatility of bullpen pieces, but. Um, so yeah, I, I do not, uh, understand the thinking of Dayton Moore on that, uh, on that part. If they go to the playoffs next year, I will say I was wrong and he was right. And that's why he runs a baseball team. And I don't, if we don't, he owes me a thousand dollars. You're shooting pretty low. A thousand dollars to him will just fucking reach in his pocket and hand it to you. Uh, really? I'll take it. If he does it, uh, I'll take it. Dayton Moore, you owe me a thousand dollars. if You don't go to the playoffs next year. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, To me, it's not even wrong for the Royals brass to be thinking of trying to compete in 2022, but I don't think they realize that hanging on to Santana and Merrifield doesn't necessarily make them more competitive in 2022 than trading them would, because obviously you could trade one or both of those pieces and get an outfielder who could help you. They are going to need somebody in center field. You might be able to, there were talks about Merrifield to Seattle for, who is that guy? Now I'm even forgetting his name. Taylor Trammell. Taylor Trammell. Yeah. If they could have gotten him in even even just a straight up swap there, that might even be more valuable than hanging on to Whit Merrifield. Especially if Whit Merrifield 
it's not going to be clear that he's the best player for his position next year. Right now, Whit Merrifield has a lower batting average than Nicky Lopez. Okay. He's hitting 274 with an on base in the low two teen or three teens. Whit Merrifield right now is not Whit Merrifield 2018, 2019. He's he's not a terrible player. You can get something for him, but what's he going to be like next year? Right? What's he going to be like the year after that? If they decide to take that, there's a, I think he has a 2023 uh, team option. He'd have they'd have to pay like 11 million to get him or something like that, but or to keep him. But you could have gotten an outfielder for him. And there's nothing that says that if you had traded him, you wouldn't fill that value with the prospects that you have coming up. Bobby Wood Jr. is going to need a place on the infield to play, right? Nick mm-hmm. Prado is going to need a place at first. Somebody's going to, you know, MJ Melendez is probably ready to come up. And that means the DH spot is going to get filled maybe by Perez or something like that. You know, it's it just, and if, and if Bobby Wood Jr. goes to third, that means Dozier's probably going to right, you know? And so there were a lot of different moving parts, but it was pretty clear to me that Santana at the very least was not necessarily needed next year. Merrifield, maybe not either. And, and it, so, hurt, it hurts even more. It hurts even more when you hear, well, Boston was interested in Santana. Okay. Send Santana to Boston. First off, probably a better place for him to hit anyway. And then get something, you know, you're not going to get a, a high level prospect for a Carlos Santana. Cause he's that old. He's only got one year after this year on his contract, whatever, whatever, get whatever you can provide opportunities for, Nick Prado, when he's ready to come up, boom, done. Justify. Yeah. Like, yeah. And people are, people talk about, and Dayton Moore talks about this too. We're not going to get less than what we think is their value. Well, clearly you think their value is a lot higher than everyone else does. I think they, they just completely over evaluate the value of their own players in really weird ways. And then they end up getting nothing for them. And everyone out there, I keep hearing people on Twitter, like, well, clearly they didn't, offer enough for him they think everybody on twitter thinks whit merrifield is a fucking mvp candidate every year or something like that because they're like they should have offered more i'm not taking that for whit merrifield good you're gonna get nothing for whit merrifield then how's that how's that feel you're gonna get nothing okay we already know that next year if they try and trade merrifield which i don't think they will because then dayton moore won't be able to rock him to sleep every night in his arms but if they do trade whit merrifield they're going to get way less than they could have this year, last year. Whenever he was at his peak of value, they will have lost all that value. It is gone now. And you ask yourself, why do rebuilds take six to eight years for the Royals and they yeah. can be done so quickly for other teams? This is exactly why. Yeah, that's the good, good question. Why do we endure six seasons in a row of 100 losses or close to 100 losses to get two or three competitive years? It's because of this. It's because so we can hang on to Whit Merrifield to lose 95 games in a season. Yeah. Why? Because he doesn't watch porn and he's a good person. <laughs> yeah. Great. Good for you, Whit Merrifield. Um, anyway, let's talk about these trades specifically. I want to, I want to dig into sort of uh, players in return. We don't know what the return is for Duffy yet. It's a player to be named later, which typically works. Um, a team gives the other team a list of players to choose from the team scouts, those players for a while and then chooses from that list. Because Duffy's injured right now, there's been some indication or some speculation maybe that the Royals may have been given multiple lists and they'll get to choose from those lists depending on when Duffy returns, probably early September. We aren't privy to the inner workings of the Royals, thank God. I think we would go mad if we could actually see how they're reasoning out some of these decisions, (laughs) but whatever. Um, We're not privy to that, so we don't know. But Mike, what do you want to see in return for Duffy from the Dodgers? Well, first, let me start by saying usually in Major League Baseball, players to be named later are not very good. And sometimes they don't even end up being players. 
Sometimes they select nobody from the list and it's just like, whatever. That is not the case here. You're going to see a a little bit stronger of a player to be named later than what you normally see in Major League Baseball. So what I would like to see is a useful outfield piece. That's kind of my top end. If I could get anything for Danny Duffy, maybe like a useful outfield center field type, really, really a center, a defensive center field type, I think would be good that you can hope to bring the bat along enough. And being an on-base guy plays really good center field, doesn't have a lot of pop, but you feel like you can develop the hit tool or something like that. Um, that is my goal for from the Dodgers, who have a good system, um, and so we'll see. They do have a good system. Unfortunately, that system is not full of near major league ready outfielders. They have some younger outfielders. Yeah, I'm not, that build. I'm not expecting anything close to major league ready. See, I no. would kind of like something near, at least high A or above, I would say at this point. And there's a guy who kind of fits that bill. Uh, I'm just looking for any sort of bat, any sort of hitter who could potentially be in a Royals lineup in 2023 capable of helping. And so I think the hope of, of an outfielder who could help in 2023 is, is a little far-fetched based on what they have in their system. So I chose this guy, Miguel Vargas. He's a third baseman in double a uh, with the Arkansas travelers. And he's really hit well in high A and he just got promoted to double A not that long ago. Um, but he's been hitting, doing well there. He's showing some power and some on-base ability. Uh, MLB Pipeline has him rated as the Dodgers' ninth best prospect. Fangraphs had him as the 13th best prospect before the season in their system. That might be a little bit on the top end of what they were willing to give up, but I think you're going to get a little bit more for Duffy and that you're seemingly trading him for one player, one player to be named later instead of a couple guys for Duffy. Maybe you get up into that you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 best prospect in their system range instead of, say, the 25th, 26th best prospect like Kalich was for Jorge Soler. Speaking of, great tra- great segue into talking about that Soler trade. What do we think of the return for Soler, Mike? Do you like that Kalich trade? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I think anything that you got for Jorge Soler, you have to be grateful for. Um, because of how bad that first half was, I thought the Royals were just going to be stuck with him. I didn't think that they were going to be able to get rid of him. Getting a guy that's kind of a lottery ticket bullpen arm, I'm completely okay with. The Royals, if anything, have shown a little bit of ability to turn to create to develop some bullpen arms. They they've brought some guys along. They've turned them into decent relievers. Um, so hopefully we can do that. He kind of reminds somebody compared him to that Coleman kid who's in um, who's in Omaha right now, who's just absolutely de- destroying people in oh, Omaha right he now. He has destroyed this Is year. It, is it Dylan Coleman? Is that his name? Dylan Coleman. Yeah. Dylan yeah. Coleman. Um, if he and turns he was, into he that, the, he was the player to be named later in the Trevor Rosenthal trade. Okay. If he turns into that, beautiful. He does throw pretty hard. I don't think he throws to Dylan Coleman level yet. But the what the four Royals Farm Report guys were saying was he's got a similar motion and a similar body to that guy. So maybe he ends up increasing in velocity even a little bit more, and um, turns into a useful bullpen piece. If if in two years, three years. Kalish is pitching in a Royals bullpen. That's a win for that Solaire trade. Oh, for sure. For sure. If you have five, if you get six years of a relief pitcher for two months of Jorge Solaire after he's hit 190 for you for the first half, hell yes, that's a great trade. Um, and that's all I have really to say about it. Is you get anything for Jorge Solaire, great trade. So I did want to talk a little bit about missed opportunities. Mike, I know you had a thought that Santana, that's a missed opportunity. We'd already talked about that. Anything to add about like what the Royals missed out on there? Well, I think it's it's important to think about not only like 
okay, well, these were the guys who could have gone. Go look at the Royals minor league system and look at the deficits in, especially the outfield, and, and think, okay, we passed up on in the draft first, stocking the outfield, and then we didn't do it at the trade deadline either. So that means this offseason, when we go out there and we sign some retread veteran to fill the gap for a couple of years or a year in center field or whatever, realize that that's the reason why, because we're not going at, and it's, it's probably not from this past year, but it's from two years ago when we held on to somebody it's because of the Royals philosophy of hanging on to guys instead of making trades. Yeah. And that's, I mean, Alec Lewis, who I love the work that he does at the athletic, but there are times when he can really carry the Royals water where he will really spin the decisions that they've made. He came out and he was like, well, what this does is it frees up money so that they can go out and get somebody in free agency. That, that, that's their plan now. Maybe they're going to make trades in the offseason, or maybe they're going to spend money in free agency to get a, an outfielder that they need. Maybe. Nothing really indicates that they could win a bidding war in free agency for an outfielder who of any consequence. So you know who it's going to be? Probably another Michael A. Taylor type. Or it might even or, just be Michael A. Taylor. He's going to be or, a free agent. They might just sign him again. Yeah, or they'll do an Andrew Benintendi rec- reclamation project. They, they love those. You know, We did it with Alex Rios. We did it with him. We did it with even Morales, which worked out really well. Kendris Morales worked out really well. He was a, a reclamation guy. Like They love the reclamation, the two-year deal reclamation project. They love them. They so. love them. And, but that's, that's the best you're sort of going to see out of that unless – something crazy happens and there's a there's like starling Marte is going to be on the free agent market this year maybe they're like oh we're going to try and win a bidding war for starling Marte. i think the odds of that are real long but (laughs) we'll see how that ultimately ends up panning out but you're right they have now missed a lot of opportunities to add outfield depth to this system and now we're all wondering where's it going to come from the royals spend this week on the road with two three-game series against the White Sox and Cardinals. Mike, it almost seems like overkill to have you talk about the White Sox because we just faced them, but give it a shot anyway. I feel like this is like the third or fourth week in a row I've done a White Sox preview, but um, hey, guess what? The White Sox still really good at baseball, even though they lost a series to the Royals. They're They're still really good at baseball. Still winning the Central at 62 and 44. Um, This week, we will actually face three pitchers we faced last week. So we'll get Dylan Cease versus Chris Bubich likely in the first one. Really like how Bubich has been pitching lately, by the way. Uh, 25-year-old right-handed pitcher. Cease throws hard. Good from the right side. He's the kind of guy, and they got him late, I think, in the draft and developed a really good, a solid pitcher there. He's got a 4.14 ERA, but he's a solid guy. He goes out there all the time. The second game should be uh, Hernandez, my boy uh, Hernandez, Carlos Hernandez versus Lucas Giolito, who we just saw this last week. 27-year-old right-hander. Great changeup from him. Throws decently hard into the mid-90s. Uh, real funky delivery from the right side. We all know Lucas Giolito at this point. And then it should be Daniel Lynch versus Dallas Keuchel. Uh, 33-year-old lefty. Not quite the pitcher that he once was in Houston. 4.51 ERA. Sinker baller, control guy. Uh, and let's hope that they hit him like they did uh, this past week because we, we touched him up a little bit this last week. Battle of lefties there in Lynch and in Keuchel. That'll be an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, and Lynch the White Sox have a good right-handed lineup. They, they really just have real, a good right-handed good right-handed lineup. Lineup. And of so. course, by then, Eloy Jimenez will have a week of at-bats under his belt. You know, mm-hmm. it, it'll be interesting on that front. So we'll still get a little bit of a weakened White Sox lineup this week because they have a few guys out still, but still a very strong one. 
After them, we go to St. Louis for an interleague series. Pitchers get to hit y'all um, yeah. against the Cardinals. That uh, would be Card- embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so the Cardinals are 53 and 52 so far. Third in the NL Central behind the Brewers and Reds. They're nine and a half back of the Brewers in the Central. The Cardinals have a lot of big names in their lineup. Yadier Molina, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. But it's not leading to a ton of production. They're a little long in the tooth. They got lots of good names, but those names are a little old. Uh, they're 13th in weighted runs created plus at 89 as a team. That means they're 11% below average league or league average there. Uh, they're only 12th in runs in the NL as well. Uh, and so they're not t- doing great uh, offensively. Their pitching staff has helped them quite a bit. The ageless wonder, Adam Wainwright, has been excellent for them. He's 39 years old. This is age 39 season. Hey, curveballs uh, don't age, man. They, they really don't. Uh, and so, yeah, he's got a 3.51 ERA and 20 starts. Uh, they also have gotten a great year out of Kwon Hyung Kim. He's like a 32-year-old Korean import who just came over last year. He's He's gotten a three-and-a-half ERA as well for them. So those two have been helping in the starting rotation, what has been a fairly weak offense for the, for the Cardinals this year. We'll end this week the same way we end every week, by talking something that isn't baseball. Mike, what's interesting to you outside of baseball this week? Well, you and I have both been talking a lot about youth sports this week. The high school where I coach football, Lee Summit North High School, hosted an extremely large youth uh, football tournament this week uh, called, or this weekend called The Clash. There were teams from California, Texas, Florida, uh, Tennessee, Ohio, Kansas City, all over the country came in and played over a three-day Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, you know, the school where I work, the team where I work, that I work with, we helped run the tournament. And it was great. You and I went out there, saw some good football and saw a lot of the stuff. But the only thing that I could think about, like while we were there and that you and I were talking about was the cost, like the amount of money that goes into youth sports is insane to me. Like if you're a team from California and you come to Lisa, Missouri to play a foot, to play a 13 year old football game, like how much money did that cost? Like it just it blows my mind the level. Now you and I were not in a situation to do that kind of stuff. We came from a town that didn't have the travel opportunities. You know, I remember when we were little kids and played baseball, we played one tournament a year in the greater Kansas City area and that was the big deal. Like we would travel from Maryville to Kansas City to play a tournament over a weekend and then we would go home or I think one time maybe we went to Jeff City. And that was it. You did one, one travel tournament a year. Everything else was done in the area of our hometown. And so like, it just blows my mind. And, and somebody had told us a guy that I coach with that a lot of these teams end up playing each other at different tournaments throughout the country, like at a, in a, like a little circuit. So that wasn't the first time these teams had seen each other in, in Lee summit, Missouri. Some of them had seen each other in, in Texas or in, you know, other places, and, and it just, it blows my mind the, the, the cost that parents will put, put up to, to have their kids playing these sports. Well, it's, it's a little weird to me. And when I say weird, I mean off-putting and also I'm a little worried about it, right? Especially that sort of like when that guy told us like, oh, they, these guys play each other all the time. It's like a little circuit. They're going around all these big tournaments. I'm like, is this why on the field, I see a lot of them acting like they're NFL players. Like they're sort of acting as if, they're an entertainment product and i'm like but they're 14 or they're 13 or like they're children like it's very weird to me uh and the cost is also a concern for me just because 
there are a lot of people out there who don't have that kind of money. Like, you know, what do they do? You know? And so, you know, it's just one of those things that was like, it was very cool to go out there and see this huge tournament full of very excited people. What did, uh, somebody said 120 teams great for the city of Lee summit economically and all that. Uh, but just also, a maybe it's my old fogeyism and I'm like, in my day, we didn't do that sort of thing. But like, <laughs> I also, I, I just think about like, Oh, is it good to sort of treat kids in this way? I don't know. I don't know. I'm always, I'm always very leery. Is that the right word? Leery of turning young people into celebrities, you know? And that seems to be like, this is one step down that path of like sort of turning children into celebrities. It's very weird to me, <laughs> uh, but if they're having fun. Great. I'm I'm glad they're having fun. I, Wanted to talk about nostalgia this week because I went to out last night. Was that last night? My memory is garbage. Um, to a place called Up Down, a barcade, a, a bar arcade in downtown Kansas City last night. I've been to barcades before. I've even been to Up Down before, but it's been so long since I've like been out because of COVID and all that stuff that going out and playing like these old arcade games that I play, Mike and I played when we were kids was just such a blast. It like really took me back. I, pl- I started playing this X-Men game that Mike and I used to play as kids. And these three other guys just sort of jumped in and started playing with me. And I was like, this is so much fun. We're all just like vibing on the fact that we used to play this X-Men game, me and these strangers back when we were kids. You know, T- really Tell fun. them about where we used to play that X-Men game. We, I think Walmart. Yeah, you know at the entryway of the Walmart because there was no arcade in our hometown. Uh, oh, of course not. Way too small for that. <laughs> and so, but in the entryway to the Walmart, they had a couple arcade games and the X-Men game was there and it was awesome. And I was oh, always Nightcrawler, and it was great. Or Colossus. Nightcrawler or Colossus. Those are my two. It's still a great game, by the way. I had a ton of fun. Played some Mortal Kombat. Played some, uh, what what was it? X-Men in sh- versus Street Fighter or something like that. A lot of fun. It was just a great time. And uh, so I started thinking about, like, oh, all the sort of value that nostalgia has as a, as a way of sort of sparking joy in people, like Marie Kondo says. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like, all the sort of – I just – felt like a kid again going in there and i played some they had an n64 hooked up i played some mario kart and some super smash brothers on that it was just a great time to sort of pretend that i was 13 again and it was a lot of fun and so yeah trying sometimes nostalgia can be like a a negative influence i think on people when you're trying to live in a time that is no longer but sometimes it's fun to tap into that 13 year old self and say hey i just want to play some n64 i'll tell you what's always fun that's watching royals baseball and talking about royals baseball and listening to royals weekly that's right So make sure you're listening, subscribing, rating, reviewing. Have fun watching the games this week, and we'll be back with you again next week. Until then, be good to each other. Go Royals!